really excited to introduce um, my friend David Bailey to you. A lot of you know David. David um, has taught here several times, most recently in our February term, um, just, uh, just this past February. Um, and he is going to preach to us today from Psalm 133. We've been this summer in this series on the Psalms and how the Psalms give us a new language for how to talk to God, a language for prayer. Um, David is the founder of Erebon, which is a ministry that helps churches and nonprofits with tools to help them uh, essentially become more effective in mission and community in a context of cultural pluralism and cultural diversity, which is an increasing part of our reality in North America. Um, David's also an author. He's an elder at Easton Fellowship. Um, he's married to Joy, um, and David has been a dear friend for many years. David and I were part of the team that helped to start Easton Fellowship together um, about 10 years ago. So really grateful to have him here. I'm going to pray and then read God's Word. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Word of God that casts light into our darkness, and we pray now for the reading and preaching of your Word, that we would not just hear and understand your Word, but we would respond to it with obedience and love. Give grace and power from your Spirit to your servant David today, and give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, we're here today because of the leaders and the culture makers of yesterday. And there's a lot of great things that the people that have come before us have done to get us in this moment, yet we have a long ways to go. And if we want to see something different in our future, then we're going to need to have a different type of leadership and a different types of culture making that has to get us ready to be the kind of church and the kind of uh, people and the kind of community that we want to see tomorrow. A lot of people talk about unity, and they can even pray for unity. But one of the things that you uh, really need to do in order to get unity is that you need to do some talking, but you got to do a lot of praying and a lot of doing. And so, one of the ways that we've engaged in this is that I think one of the most important things that our ministry does is that we choose uh, uh, young people between the age of 18 to 25 in a time where they're making a significant uh, decisions about their life and their calling and how they live their life. And they're studying theology. They're studying reconciliation. They're st- living in the urban context and learning how to engage missionally. And instead of writing papers, they're writing songs. They're creating new cultural artifacts. And, and Corey, I'm sorry to say this, but one of the things that happens in the church, the reason why we focus on singing is because, you know, y'all can remember like one thing that I might say from the sermon today. But when you put a sermon in the format of a song, then you remember the words of God and the ways of God. And so this is uh, one of our stealth kingdom missions that we uh, engage in. And we are so thankful that you've invited us here to worship and that you've invited us to be able to lead you and you've invited us to be able to preach here today. So because we're preaching, and I 
come from a cultural context where we would preach for at least for our minimum. And so what I did was I got a chance to pick any verse that I wanted to pick. So I decided to pick a chapter that only has three verses to do a favor to you all. Now, this is the thing. I come from a preaching context where preaching is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. So I need some feedback. So you get some amens every now and then. That's good. It makes the sermon a lot shorter. And, And if you are... Uh, uh, a little uncomfortable that just give me like a Presbyterian grunt, like, mm, you know, something like that. <laughs> so I've been preaching on the subject of marching to Zion, and, and, and I don't know if you remember when Michael Jackson died. Like, there was so much of uh, his music that was playing on the radio constantly. Um, there were a lot of videos and images of Michael Jackson, and Dion was actually with uh, his, uh, uh, um, his seven-year-old son. And of course, the seven-year-old son didn't know who Michael Jackson was. And so he saw this man on TV and said, hey, Dad, who was that? He said, it's Michael Jackson. Then he saw a different man. He said, Dad, who was that? That's Michael Jackson. And then he saw a different man and said, hey, that, who was that? That's Michael Jackson. And so he said, only about a third time, his son said, you got to be kidding me. I think about that when I hear the words good, pleasant, and unity together. I got to say, you got to be kidding me. Unity is really hard, and it's hardly ever I categorize it as good and pleasant. It's hard to even, like, get a group of friends to decide on where you're going to go out to eat. It's hard to get a manager to say, like, uh, um, what are you going to do with the kitchen when you're renovating, even in a marriage? I mean, there is it's a difficulty to achieve unity. And the scripture says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters uh, dwell in unity. And, you know, the key word of this word is when. Like, when this happens. The reason why this is hard is because, you know, I, I, I'll, they got the saying that confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for the reputation. I'm going to let you know a little bit something. I just, I just celebrated 11 years of marriage on July 1st, and so that's worth celebrating. I won't, amen, amen. I won't tell you how many of those years were happy, but like <laughs> around our fourth year, we started to deal with some challenges, and we decided to go to a counselor. And when I went to the counselor, I'm thinking it's not going to take that long because all my wife has to do is do what I think she ought to do, and then we would have unity. Of course, you know, the counselor wrote a little note on that one. But that's also how we oftentimes try to get unity. We try to get unity uh, through getting other people to assimilate into our ideas of what we think ought to be. Versus getting unity through diversity, which you honor the image of God and the diversity in which God has made that person. And the challenge is, is that unity through assimilation glorifies whoever that person is within dominant relationship. But unity and diversity, you see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that God makes the world diverse, good, and beautiful. And it says that it is Good. As a matter of fact, when God made male and female both uh, diverse and, and the two uh, represented the image of God, he said that was very good. 
And so in the middle of the Bible, you see here in Psalms 133, it says how good and pleasant is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And if you fast forward to Revelation, there's a story of Revelation 7 where you have people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, and they are worshiping Jesus. You see from Genesis to Revelation that unity is important. So the key verses in, 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 in this word, how good and pleasant is when God's people live together in unity, it's the word when. And see, the author is a poet that is using this literary form called simile, and he is saying that it is kind of rare for us to see unity. So I'm going to give you a couple of similes, some things that are like that will help you to be able to, one, recognize it, and two, cultivate unity. He says that it is like hospitality. He says that it is like priestly ministry. And number three says it is like maturity. Let me, let me unpack this a little bit. So in verse two, it says, it is like precious oil poured on the head. See, in ancient Near East culture, what they would do to extend hospitality is that they would oftentimes uh, give people oil to put on their head to help them to refresh. And I don't know if you ever got a chance to uh, fly first class. Sometimes what they'll do is give you a hot towel that you can wipe your hands with or uh, put, um, wipe your face down and kind of get a little refreshed. Or if you go to a really nice fine restaurant, they might give you a hot towel where you can extend some first class hospitality. And what this scripture is saying is that when we engage in unity, it is like first class hospitality. And you see, the thing is, is that when you engage in first-class hospitality, it can't be about you. You can't be self-centered. And so what, this, what this, this author is saying is that we have to be people who engage in hospitality with people that might be different than us. Now, it's more than not just only that it's about hospitality. It says it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And so you have to engage in hospitality, um, but then there's also this thing of priestly ministry. If you ever got a chance to read the beginning of the Bible, there is this guy named Aaron who was the first priest for the people of Israel. And what Aaron did is Aaron uh, was responsible in modeling what was it that a priest did. And a a priest was an intermediary, uh, a person that uh, would intercede on behalf of the people for God and would interpret what God is saying for the people. So he was one that was engaging in the reconciliation, the, the brokenness that was happening between God and humanity. But then the priest also was the person that would be the mediator and the reconciler of people with one another. And so when he says it's running down on the beard of Aaron, he's saying that when we engage in the ministry of unity, we are also engaging in the ministry of reconciliation. And if you keep on reading from Psalms, you go to Exodus, you read from Psalms, there is the great high priest, a man by the name of Jesus, who in his culminating longest recorded prayer in John 17, he prays this for the people of God, that we would be brought to complete. 
complete unity, then the world would know that Jesus is the Son of God. See, unity and diversity within the body of Christ is the greatest form and defense of the faith. See, it's, 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 it's not apologetics and the, the, the crafty arguments. It's the fact that Corey and I can be in relationships as brothers and we treat each other truly as brothers. That is a bigger, defa- a bigger defense of the faith than any kind of crafty argument that we could put together. So this is why Jesus praised his prayer in John 17. And so in order for us to experience unity, we got to engage in some hospitality. We have to do some priestly ministry, but then it's going to require some maturity. See, when you look um, at this text, you'll see that beards are mentioned twice. Now, see, I'm reminded of the story where um, Tommy and Ryan, they were sitting waiting for their mom to get some uh, pancakes. Mom was cooking some pancakes for breakfast. And Ryan and Tommy started arguing about who was going to get pancakes first. So Ryan says, hey, you got pancakes uh, first, Tommy, last time, so let me get the pancakes first. And and then Ryan said, no, you got it last time. Let me get it first, and I'm going to be the person to get it first. And like any great parenting moment, the mom says, you know what? This would be a really great time to show them how to be like Jesus. So mom goes and she says, hey, you know, if you really want to be like Jesus, what you would do is you would offer your pancakes first to your brother. So what Ryan tells Tommy says, Tommy, how about you be Jesus first? (laughs) See, this is often how we operate when it comes to unity. We often want somebody to be more like Jesus than us. And it takes maturity to be the person that's going to be like Jesus even when it's not fair. As a matter of fact, you know, little boys can't grow beards. Only mature men can grow beards. And we're going to adopt women into this category. You don't have to grow beards, but what you can do <laughs> is that you could exercise some maturity and uh, some unity. And, and the work that we do as we help churches, there are three obstacles that we oftentimes find uh, that are, are pretty big obstacles that uh, um, oftentimes get in the way for churches to engage in unity. Obstacle number one oftentimes is worship preferences. See, the worship of Jesus ought to be the one unifier, the thing that unifies us. We're saying that Jesus is Lord and we're not. And that should be the thing that unifies us all, but the challenge is is oftentimes in our worship preferences, it's the thing that divides us across generations, across cultural lines, across socioeconomic lines. But one of the things that we have to do is that it takes maturity to say that, you know, I might not get everything the way that I want to get it. One of the things I really think that you all should commend yourself for is the fact that you all have gone through the difficulty of taking a traditional service, a contemporary service, so that this gathering right here can be a multi-generational gathering. Praise God for that. But, you know, I also hear that you all are um, in conversations with uh, the 
Christian Arabic church, and you're trying to figure out, like, hey, you've been occupying the same building for almost 20 years. What does it look like for, for, for you all to engage in, in, in some more unity and diversity? Now, I'm telling you, with all the work that we do across the country, um, the worship preferences is one thing that comes up. What songs are we going to sing? What time are we going to start? Like, is it a real time that we're starting or a range of time that we're starting? Uh, <laughs> How long is the service going to be? One hour or three hours? These are our preferences and things that have to be negotiated in order to experience your diversity. But I'm going to tell you one thing that what my grandma, can, she says, can oftentimes have people to lose their religion over. And that is, how are we going to do children's ministry? See, like, parenting and child rearing is one of those things that are cultural that oftentimes can be the deal breaker in church relationships um, because culturally you raise your children this way, you have this value, and I raise my children that way, and we can't have the mature, we choose not to have the maturity to know how to navigate through children's ministry. I don't know if y'all have experienced that, but I want to say it's coming. I just want to warn you. And it's going to take some maturity to engage in this. Now, here's the third thing that I see that is one of the biggest challenges that a lot of pastors are, are facing today when it comes to discipleship in the kingdom of God. And that is that there are people in the church that spend more time watching the news and politics than they do reading their Bibles. And see, what ends up happening is, is when you spend more time watching the news and reading your Bible, uh, uh, watching the news and politics than reading your Bible, then what ends up happening is that you end up reading and interpreting the Bible through politics versus the other way around. And it doesn't matter whether or not your preferences is Fox News or the channel formerly known as CNN. This is a problem. We have to allow the Word of God to tell us how we ought to live and, and govern and, and, and engage in the world. And, and, and here's, here's even the bigger challenge. I, I promise you this, that Fox News and CNN actually have the same goal in mind. It's to make money. See, the goal of the church is to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. And so I'm pretty sure I could uh, guarantee you that the executives at Fox News or CNN never wake up and say, what can I do today to glorify God through the ministry of reconciliation? <laughs> you can be guaranteed that. But what happens is, is that they have shaped us and malformed us that when somebody that votes for somebody different than who I vote for, or they make a post on Facebook, then that means that we can no longer be brothers and sisters anymore. We got to have some maturity in order to engage in unity and diversity. I love this quote by Philip Yancey. He says it this way. Grace is annoying. It's easy to show grace to people who think just like you do. Much harder to show grace to those who offend you or with whom you disagree. Offense and disagreement and, and different ways of thinking is not an excuse to engage in unity and diversity when you're in the body of Christ. So why is all of this important? It says it here in this verse. It says, because unity is like the dew of Hermon where 
Um, I'm sorry. Unity is like the dew of Hermon. We're falling down on the Mount of Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. See, one of the things that's really important is for you to understand the context of Psalms 133. See, in this period of Israel's history, God only dwelt in one place. So what had to happen is in order for people to experience the presence of God, what they had to do, all 12 tribes had to go on a pilgrimage to Zion, which is the place where God dwelled. And this journey oftentimes could be a multi-day journey, and they would sing songs. Actually, the Psalms of Ascent are 15 psalms that they would sing on their way to this road trip. And one of the ways that they would prepare for the presence of God is that they would sing a song about unity. Now, Israel is a very dry area and part of the country. And so, you know, when you're on a long, long march, you become keenly aware of how hot and dry it is because you're in the sun. And, and the highest point in Israel is Mount Hermon. And because of the elevation, uh, there would sometimes be dew that would come down and people would get blessed and refreshed by the dew. Well, people of God, I came to tell you today that the pilgrims, uh, we are pilgrims today here on a journey marching to Zion. We are going to the heavenly Jerusalem where we are, will be with the presence of God. And there are some dry places and areas in our lives that we need some refreshing. We need to hear a, a refreshing word from God. We need to experience a refreshing presence of God. And if you're walking to Zion, you need to allow some people to be the people that give you some feedback and some of the refreshing of God in your life. There is this African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, you walk alone. But if you want to go far, you walk together. See, when you're marching to Zion, you don't have to go fast. Matter of fact, you don't want to go too fast. Matter of fact, when you're marching to Zion, there are some people that you need that will help you to get to where you need to go. When you're marching to Zion, those people might not have the same level of education as you. They might not have the same socioeconomic place as you. They might have the same culture as you, but there is something that they have that will help you to get to where you need to be. Matter of fact, most likely it will be somebody that has something different than what you have. When you're marching to Zion, uh, the person might not show up at the time that you expect them to show up, even though you said you're going to meet at 7 o'clock. But God is going to use you to quench that dry, thirsty place in your life. When you're marching to Zion, you got to show some hospitality to people even when you don't feel like it. You have to show some maturity to people when you don't feel like it. Even if they voted for a different president than that you voted for, you got to act like a priest instead of a punk. You have to be the person to be willing to be like Jesus and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. You have to be willing to die for the sake of others. Because when you're marching to Zion, unity is not a luxury, it is a necessity. See, the question today is, is, 
can we count on you to be the person to extend that hospitality, to be the person that engages in priestly ministry, and then be that person that engages in maturity? Can we count on you, and can you count on me? See, one of the things that has been really great about Third Church is that God has used Third Church over the past 30 years to be a conduit of bringing unity and diversity in the city. We are literally here today. I am preaching here today because over 30 plus years ago, there were some people from Third Church and my parents that uh, started something called Step. There are some people over 30 years ago when I remember being about eight years old or so and they were starting crossover medical clinic and offering health care at a time when health care was not something that was in the news cycles often. Over uh, uh, 30 years ago, Third Church has planted so many different churches. I think it's somewhere in a range of 10 churches and Eastern Fellowship was one of them. And so Corey and I can stand up here today as brothers because Third Church has been used by God to help be generous and engage in some uh, unity and diversity for the city. Now, what's interesting is that our world has become a lot more diverse than it has even 30 years ago. Matter of fact, the five-mile radius of this area has become more diverse than it has. And this is one of our regional churches that are here, yet... Inside the church, the socioeconomic, the racial, and ethnic difference has not changed that much. So I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an invitation to do what you have to do to extend the hospitality to people who might be different than you. I want to extend the invitation for you to engage in the priestly ministry that is required of you to be like Jesus. And I want to encourage you that when you don't feel like to be the mature one and say, hey, what got us here yesterday is not going to be the thing that's going to take us to the next future for the next 30 years. We're going to engage in some different type of leadership and we're going to need some different type of culture making to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. Let us pray. God, I thank you that by your spirit, you don't want us to be like, hey, Tommy, how about you be Jesus? You want to say, Lord, I really want to be a Christian. I really want to be like Jesus. So just like it costs you something, it's going to cost us something. And so, Lord, I pray just for all those in the sound of my voice that you would give them some wisdom some discernment of what is that next step of, step of faithfulness for them as it relates to the ministry of unity and diversity and the ministry of reconciliation. I pray, Lord, that no one would um, be trapped and caught through any condemnation, but there would be a conviction of the Spirit to say, hey, this is what the Spirit's telling me to do and how I could move a little bit more towards uh, ministry reconciliation and experience some unity and diversity in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my church, and in my city. Well, I thank you for these times and we 
pray that you would uh, uh, seal this time and uh, uh, let the seeds grow for your kingdom 30, 60, and 100-fold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.